Live from this is the Just End the Suffering Podcast. For the win. Got it! Oh! He broke his head. Follow me. Follow me to freedom. Ready for this. Here's your host, Mike Phillips. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the latest episode of the Just End the Suffering Podcast, which is New York Sports Talk and Long Suffering Fan. I'm your host, Mike Phillips. I got a good show for you this week. It is the annual tradition here on the NFL portion of the Just End the Suffering Podcast. Week one's in the books. We're joined by Joe Dalwizio to do the recap. That's what we're doing here. The host of the Char Terror Podcast himself, Joe Dalwizio, be on the line just a bit. We're going to break down all the action week one. What happened to the locals? What happened to his Green Bay Packers? They got embarrassed in Jacksonville against the Saints. Some big wins, some big loss, like all that with Joe in just a bit. Also do our week two NFL picks coming up in just a bit as well. And we join on the line today by fellow Jet fan Kevin Willis. Will Schneider announced coming on last week. Still didn't pop up. He's not on there. We're hopefully we'll try and get him back on later in the season. But for now, Kevin Willis pinch hitting here. Gonna step up and we'll talk some Jets, do some picks coming up as well. Make sure you lock in the end of the podcast this week's two-minute drill where I'll give you my thoughts on the Subway series on the weekend. And it was a rare bright home for the Mets. But at the end, I don't know if either of these teams is any good. Talk about that in just a bit. But we'll get it all started with the opening tip. We're going to take a look at what happened with the locals in week number one right after this. Three, two, one. Y'all ready for this? The opening tip. And here we go. All right, opening tip time here. We'll go through the NFL Sunday week one for the locals. And we'll start in chronology. We'll start with the Jets. And I have to say the first half of that game was a disaster. They looked incompetent offensively. You got Sam Darnold throwing bombs to Robbie Anderson. Robbie Anderson's doing the jet celebration. He's running into the end zone on touch on a quarterback keeper. You got 16-0. Strange decision for the Panthers made that kept that game close, but this was not what you're looking for. Out of the Jets in the first half. Second half, Coach made some adjustments. Zach Wilson made some nice plays. He made some brilliant throws on the run, including a bomb to Corey Davis for a touchdown. A second touchdown. They end up losing 19-14. And I have to say, Zach Wilson impressed me in this game because first half, he had some struggles, threw a bad interception. He was basically trying to do too much. Second half, looked like, okay, I belong here. I can make plays. They changed it up plays, give him some more options, spread the field a little bit, and he's made some things happen. The Jet defense also applies in this game. They adjusted pretty nicely after the close start, and again, look at the names on that defense. They are a very no-name group outside that defensive line, and they've played very well. They held the Panthers three points after the break. The young secondary did pretty well, apart from the safety red wine came for the end of the Marcus Joyner's not off of the season, by the way. He got burned the Robbie Anderson touchdown. Apart from that, they played pretty well. The biggest issue of this game, and it's going to be the biggest issue of the season until they fix it, the offensive line was a disaster. Zach Wilson was hit often. He was running for his life. He had no time to throw most of the game. They couldn't run block either. And let me just say also, he came to the first game press conference and said, hey, I have a little whiplash right now. I can't blame him. He got beaten to a pulp. Mackay Becton was on that line. He played p- poorly before he got hurt. Now he's at least four or six weeks. We'll see what happens there. George Fant, who 
I do not understand how he got the job right tackle from Warren Moses. He was absolutely dreadful in that game. He got beaten by a turnstile every single play. Then they had to move him to left tackle when Becton got hurt again and bring Morgan Moses in. And Morgan Moses what looked like played pretty well when he was on the field, so I don't understand why that was made. Greg Van Roten was not good either. It's alarming right now because this is a line that you've been trying to fix for years. This is three years now that Joe Douglas is trying to rebuild this line. It's not much better than when it started. I know there's also a cat out here because this group did not practice much together. Like Mikhail Becton injury issues during the preseason. Elijah Vera Tucker hurt himself early in camp, didn't play. They were trying to decide who the right tackle was. And those are communication breakdowns you're seeing on the fact that the Panthers kept stunting the Jets to death, which is something that improves the communication because these guys do not play together very much. And they're trying to basically say, who should I take? Should I take this guy or should I take this guy? And then somebody was always getting through. We heard the warning signs about this, though, with how they were being dominated by the Packers in this uh, two-team scrimmages. We heard they were dominated by the Eagles in the scrimmages. We heard the Jet defensive line dominating them in scrimmages. The Jets had to get this right. This kid is not going to survive. Simply put, it was good to see the fight and the Justin after the break because last year with Adam Gates coaching this game, this is a 35-3 Jet loss. This year, it's a tighter loss you disappointed they didn't win, sure, but you expect some growing pains. And if Wilson's making some plays and you're getting better as the year goes on, that's okay. It's a very different kind of mood here for the Jazz because this is the year you're going in, and unless you are Craig Carr and WFAN saying, oh, we're going to win 10 games, you know this team stinks. They're going to get better as the year goes on because they're so young, but it's encouraging that, you know, they did not just take their ball and go home until they got beaten up in the first half. Good job there. The Giants, on the other hand, why well, argue here had the much worse week one of the two locals because they had much higher expectations in this game. They are hosting a Denver Broncos team that, yes, they have a good defense. They're starting Teddy Bridgewater quarterback who Carolina ran out of town to get Sam Darnold in there. This game, they came in saying, oh, we could win. We're only a modest underdog at home. They were routed 27-7. I know the final score is at 27-13, but I'm not counting those guard time points that Daniel Jones scores time expired. That doesn't count. My book. The Giants could not move the ball. Dan Jones is another big fumble, big problem for him. The offense was simply inept against a very good Broncos defense, and the Broncos did not have Bradley Chubb, who was one of their key edge rushers in that game. That's something you were looking at that matchup. You're saying, where are the Giants going to struggle? The fact they have to stop Von Miller and Bradley Chubb. They'd have to deal with Chubb, just Von Miller. I still couldn't do it. The more concerning factor here, the offense we knew had some issues. The defense got pushed around by Teddy Bridgewater. He completed 20 of 36 passes for 264 yards and two touchdowns. Whatever Teddy Bridgewater wanted, Teddy Bridgewater got. The Broncos also ran for 165 yards in this game. This is not an elite offensive team. This is, we're going to win with our defense, and Teddy Bridgewater's going to manage the game, not turn the ball over, we're going to win these games 17-13 or 14-10 or stuff like that. They put up 27 points on the Giant defense, which is supposed to be the strength of this team. That's not good. Now, all of a sudden here, they have a big game Thursday night against Washington. And Washington, yes, they don't have Ryan Fitzpatrick. He's on the IR now at the hip subluxation. Taylor Heineke starting that game for Washington. And remember, he played well against Tampa in the playoffs last year. He also did pretty well in relief of Tannehill, uh, in relief of Fitzpatrick, excuse me, on Sunday afternoon against the Chargers. This game is massive because... 
The Giants, whoever loses this is 0-2. And that's nothing new for the Giants, who in seven of the past eight years has started the year at least 0-2. The one exception was 2016, and they made the playoffs. You cannot be 0-2 again with a loss in this division. Because I know you have Atlanta coming up 10 days after this, but you have New Orleans coming up. We saw what New Orleans did to Green Bay on opening week. We have the Dallas Cowboys coming up. There are good games on the schedule coming up, and they're going to have to produce a win tonight. They're going to have to find a way to win this game. If they don't, things will get very dicey. With that being said, let's move on. Let's go to more of a big-picture look at the league. Let's go to our recap with Joe Dalvey. You're right after this call from Sunday's Seahawks win over the Colts. A big touchdown from Russell Wilson to Tyler Lockett, courtesy of Fox Sports. Second down and 20, final minute of this second quarter. As Wilson fires downfield, Lockett, he's got it! Touchdown! His second of this first half, wow. 69 yards! Wow. Blowing the top off, blowing the top off of the defense. That is, it's unfair. Let's just be honest, Kenny. All right, we are back here on the Just End the Suffering podcast, doing what's coming annual tradition here, breaking down week one with the host of the Shark Terror podcast, Joe Dalvizio is here. Joe, how are you? Mike, I am doing very well, as always. Thank you for having me on. Excited to be back on the Just End the Suffering podcast. I am too. I got to say, football back is good, especially since my baseball team, our baseball team is basically just, you know, gone, flushed our season down the toilet, down the stretch here. And I got to say, week one, the games, I feel like every window had so much fun action going on. There was like not really a dull moment here, except for maybe part of the one o'clock window. No, yeah. I mean, you look across the board down the scoreline of all the week one games, I thought there was a lot of really good football, which usually doesn't happen. I think the one thing that stood out the most to me, how much points were scored pretty much across the board. There were only a few games that didn't um, surpass that 25 plus mark point mark, but I feel like almost every game, Felt like there was high scoring. There was a lot of action, a lot of back and forth, other than the really two big blowouts. Um, obviously, it's exciting, and it's great that football is back. You feel the energy. It's also a, a change of pace now seeing people in, this, in the stadium cheering. So feels almost back to normal. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. I, felt, I was looking at my fantasy football league. I'm checking the box scores here. I'm like, wow, there's a lot of points in the league this week. I don't usually have that happen in week one. Yeah, it usually doesn't. I mean, not that anyone cares about my fantasy team, but I know in one of my leagues, I ended up being the highest scorer in week one, which doesn't happen often. Let me, I'll be honest. But uh, yeah, a lot of points, a lot of action, and it's just good that football's back. Absolutely is. I mean, it started out with a bang right away. We had that opening night classic between the Buccaneers and the Cowboys. Dallas plays much better than I thought they would in this game. But again, the kicker had some issues. They chose not to run the ball. Tampa picks up a big win there. What did you think about that opening night game? Yeah, I mean, I think that set the tone for the NFL in the season that we can expect. And they couldn't have really been a better game, honestly. Um, and I think, you know, no matter what game is out there on that opening night, people are going to watch. But the fact that it was that exciting, that much action, Tom Brady, uh, Dak Prescott, it it really lived up to the hype. And I'll be honest, I got to give a lot of credit to the Dallas Cowboys and Dak Prescott. Um, I had a lot of concerns with the Cowboys coming in especially because of Dak's health, uh, just, you know, the, the surgery that he had coming coming back. And 
Mike McCarthy and, and company let him air it out and air it out a lot. I, I was surprised that he almost threw the ball 60 times in, in the first game back, but he looked really, really good. And if they could figure something out with that run game, I mean, this could be a, a, a potential team that not a lot of people probably had much faith in going into the season. Yeah, it's also one thing I think about. I give the coaching staff credit there, including Kellen Moore, the offensive coordinator. They obviously don't have Zach Martin because he tested positive for COVID. He couldn't play in the game. They said, you know what, like, why bother running here? We're not going to, you know, have much success because that Tampa Bay front without our best lineman. Let's, you know, load up on the throwing. Zeke is a decoy. It worked. They almost won the game. I, I totally get that. My one concern, though, is like, you know, getting letting your franchise quarterback go out there post-injury and, you know, throw it six, almost 60 times and put him in, in danger so quickly into the season. Uh, that was my one concern with him throwing so much. But again, uh, I, I thought Dak looked really, really good. And on the flip side for Tampa, I mean, at, when is any team going to learn not to give Tom Brady some time on the clock? Like <laughs> literally, when are they going to learn? Yeah, they never will. I, I don't think so. At this point, I'm convinced they won't. Yeah, absolutely. And I will say all the fun football that happens weekend, it always, again, goes back to our local teams here in New York. It feels like they're playing a different sport than the rest of the league because the games that we got in New York teams are just so bad, so uncompetitive. They both lost. And the Jets had a lot of injury woes. Giants just underachieving in general. Like, which team do you think had the worst week one? I think the New York Giants had the worst week one. Uh, I think they just looked bad on both sides of the ball. And this is a huge year for Daniel Jones. And... They need to figure out, he needs to figure out how to protect the football. He has way too many fumbles. I, I don't know the number off the top of my head, but I, I heard a, a ridiculous stat that essentially said like he has 30 fumbles. He has more fumbles than starts, Yeah, which is crazy. Um, but not only does Daniel Jones need to figure it out, I think Joe Judge, Jason Garrett and company – need to put him in better situations. I thought on, on Sunday, the play calling at times uh, didn't help him out whatsoever. It obviously doesn't help that the offensive line stinks. They had very, they had a ton of issues trying to attempting to run the ball. If I had to pick it, definitely the Giants had a worse week in terms of the locals. Yeah, I'm right there with you because again, the expectations are so much higher for the Giants. And the thing that would concern me most on the Giant phase, not even the offense, the fact that their defense led Teddy Bridgewater. Carolina was basically ready to throw over more the second season ended last year. Go up and down the field and do whatever he wanted. That would be concerning me a lot. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's both sides of the ball, um, you know, deserve the criticism there. And like you said, the expectations a little bit higher for the New York Giants and to come out like that against, you know, a Buccaneer, uh, excuse me, a, a Broncos team that is a good team. Okay, I'm not going to say they're a great team or a very good team, a good team, middle of the pack team. In front of their own their 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 home fans, you would have thought they would have uh, came out a little a little bit better. Uh, the one saving grace I would say is you did see Daniel Jones and Kenny Galladay get it going in that second half, and it, if that chemistry could build, that could play a a tremendous role for their season success. But the bottom the bottom line is he needs to protect the ball, and they need to protect him. And if that doesn't happen, it's going to be a long year for the New York Giants. Oh, absolutely. And obviously, you're here. You're the pack guy. I know I have to go here. And I Come on. You have to? Do you yeah. really have to? Yeah, there's the most shocking results on the board week one. They say, what the hell happened to the Packers? Yeah, I mean, uh, where do you want to start? Yeah. Where do you want to start, honestly? Uh, the offense was horrendous. Aaron Rodgers didn't look good. Uh, what made Aaron Rodgers 
really good last season was his accuracy and his decisiveness, right? He saw something, he got the ball out of his hands right away. In week one, he was very inaccurate, very indecisive. Now, granted, last season, the offensive line, so much better throughout the regular season. He already had some offensive line issues week one against the Saints. Specifically, you have David Bakhtiari. He's out. You have two rookies starting inside. There's going to be a a big adjustment period. There's going to be a big adjustment period for this team. I thought going into this game that the offense shouldn't have a problem. And clearly that wasn't the case. I think it probably has something to do with none of the starters playing a single snap in preseason. And this is the first time they're all out there together playing real football since they lost against the Buccaneers in the NFC championship game. On the flip side, on the defensive side of things, Kevin King still stinks. That's not a surprise. The bigger surprise is that Green Bay brought him back, but he looked terrible. The team wasn't able to get pressure. I know this was Joe Barry's first game as a defensive coordinator. I don't know. I, you can't start pointing fingers. You can't start the blame game just yet. It's, it's one week, and the most important thing that people need to, to realize and people love doing is overreacting after week one, right? Yep. Everyone has an overreaction. It's week one. There's no reason to panic. If it's four, five, six weeks from now and this situation is still very imminent and nothing has changed, that's when I'm going to start to worry. But the fact of the matter is the defense, all they really did was change defensive coordinators and they replaced Christian Kirksey with Devondre Campbell. Okay, those are the, the any, everything else is identical. So begs, you know, I, I pose the question, is it the player personnel or is it really the coaching that's the problem? And again, we can't judge the coaching because Joe Barry, it's literally his first game. So you can't really expect much change on that defensive side. The one thing that, you know, you should be very disappointed about is how the offense performed. Yeah, I will say also for them, you got the nice, perfect homecoming spot with Detroit coming in on Monday Night Football on week two. If that's not a double you win, something is wrong there. Well, I'll tell you what, if if Green Bay does not get by the the um, the Detroit Lions on Monday night at home, we, we have big issues there. We have big issues. And, and I mean, I said it on my podcast um, very briefly. The Lions aren't going to lay down for you. We saw them fight back against the 49ers in front of their home crowd. They're going to give the Packers hell. I mean, it's a divisional rival. They're going to go out all out on this one. Um, the good news for Green Bay, if you want to look at good news, um, in under the Matt LaFleur era, the Packers are 6-0 and post-regular season loss. And they've beaten opponents with an average score of 33-19. to yep. All things go as planned. They should have no problem against the Detroit Lions. With that said, though, you know, this will be a little bit more telling. And you're also going to have the other side of it, the overreactions again. If Green Bay wins 55-14, everyone's going to say, well, they're back, they're the best team, et cetera. Slow your roll. It's a lot of football left. I don't think we could really make a consensus of what, how this team is going to be until, you know, week five or week six when we see some more consistency. For and sure. that goes with any team in the league. Oh, for sure. I mean, let's go a couple other things I want to touch on from this week. Obviously, 
The big game of the week was obviously Chiefs-Browns in Kansas City. The Browns jump out early. They had the mishap with the punter. The Chiefs come back to win. I thought this was a good performance from the Browns, and then they kind of gave it away at the end. So, like, what was your big takeaway from that game in terms of those two teams? You know, that's, um, as you know, as the listeners know, going into the season for our pick segment, I took the over for the Chiefs. And I said it's going to be tough because they, they start off against a really tough opponent in the Kansas City Chiefs. But I, when I'm scoreboard watching and checking into that game, I really thought, wow, the Browns are going to do it here. They, they're going to do it. And, you know, they fell apart at the end. And I think when it comes with the Browns, all the pressure is on Baker Mayfield, who needs to be able to close out these games, needs to play his best football late, take that next progression in his career and close out games. Because if he doesn't close out those games, it, it you know it may it may not be the same old Browns. They'll be a much better team, obviously. But that's the difference between you know being a playoff team, being a really good playoff team, and then getting to the Super Bowl, in my opinion. And you know, as for the Chiefs, I mean, Patrick Mahomes, Tyreek Hill are just a cheat code. It's just not even fair. It's it's a video game esque. I've never seen anything like it. Yeah, that's for sure. And I want to go to the other AFC North team. I mentioned is the Steelers and the Bills. And this is a game that the Bills are heavily favoring this game. And that's one I kind of looked at the line side. I'm like, you know, like the Steelers have a good defense. This game could be close. I didn't expect the Steelers to win outright here. And the block punt plays a big role in it. So what do you think about what we saw out of those two teams? Yeah, I was I was really surprised with this result. I'm going to be honest with you because I thought the uh, Bills would come into this one riding off the momentum that they had last year. Um, and similar to the Browns. I'll say the kind of, and Baker Mayfield, I'll say the same thing about the Bills and and Josh Allen. Like, you want to take that next step, you need to close out games. This is on you. Um, I thought McDermott made it a little bit more difficult for Allen. Uh, There was a couple decisions to punt on fourth down rather than going for it, which, you know, played a big role in uh, the game. And I was surprised with the Steelers because, to be honest with you, yes, I know how you know, solid that defense is, but I really thought offensively big Ben is kind of on, on the outskirts on his way out. You know, I wouldn't be surprised at the end of this year, if this Steelers team ended up being um, right around 500, if not below 500. So I think the bills, I think the Browns, they're going to just be fine as long as their quarterbacks continue to grow and, and finish out games. Yeah, obviously the other dramatic takeaway from the week one that I've noticed here is that all four NFC West teams won in week one, which I can't remember the last time a division did that where all their teams picked up a win to start the season. And we talked about this for like in the preseason that this is the best division in football. And they've done nothing to show you that it's not going to be that. Yeah, that was a dominating week one performance for that uh, for that division. Uh, specifically, stock up for the Cardinals, who had an excellent win against the Tennessee Titans, and also the Rams. I mean, I think this Rams offense could be very, very special with a guy like Matt Stafford who loves to throw the ball all over the field. Yeah, that's for sure. And I will say the 49ers did give me a big scare. I took that was the lock of the week in week one for the knockout pool. And then they almost gave the thing up at the end. But that was... I I know they held on at the end. And that's why I'm not like too like wow factor when it comes to the 49ers. Because, I mean, they gave up a lot of points. They gave up a lot of points and they let Detroit storm back in that game. Um Again, will they be a, a team that's there potentially towards the end of the season? Probably. But um, I, I was way more impressed with the Rams and, and specifically the, the Arizona Cardinals. Oh, for sure. And Seattle, Seattle underrated, too. They did a good job going to Indy and winning there. And, again, I picked them last week on the podcast in the pick. I said, hey, you know, 
Seahawks going east. They're one of the few teams going out, going out the way you can trust to do that, do the job. I was actually on the opposite side of that. I like the Colts in that matchup yeah. because, again, I, I, I don't think this is a Seattle team that we're used to seeing. Um, I don't think they're as talented as years past, and maybe because it's a transition where it's more on an offensive-based team rather than a defensive-based team, but they did an excellent job against the Colts. For sure. Let's go now to a quick wrap-ups here. Who do you think had the best win in week one? I don't know. I think that's a tough one to really pick one team exactly because, you know, we were just talking about the NFC West teams. I think Arizona looked really good against the Tennessee team. Um, Rams, again, they, they took care of business against the Bears. I really liked what I saw out of the Bengals and went a week one overtime win with uh, over the Minnesota Vikings. You know, Joe, Joe Burrow comes back from the ACL injury. He plays well. Joe Mix, Mixon, he plays well. Jamar Chase, the rookie. I mean, that's an offense that I'm going to keep my eye out on all season long because there's so much young talent. That could be a really fun team to watch. Yeah, I think one I'll throw out here also that's kind of floating under the radar here, but just how dominant the Eagles looked in Atlanta against the Falcons, also very impressive. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a new era in Philly, and similar to that young offense, the Eagles have this pretty similar to what the Bengals have. I think the Bengals have a little bit more talent in that sense, but they're, they're, the Eagles are right there behind them. Right. Actually, that, that game was going to lead into you know one of the biggest disappointments to be honest with you. You're going with Atlanta as the biggest disappointment week one. Yeah, I don't Atlanta and Green Bay. I mean, you, you got you to gotta say it how it is, you know, although I, I, it pains me to admit it, but I think both of those teams are the biggest disappointments. Uh, not Atlanta, not because they should be something better. I don't think Atlanta is that great of a team, but they just did not look good. Um, they didn't look good. Matt Ryan didn't look good. Um, this is a team that could, to me, uh, be a bottom of the uh, NFC South. And for the Packers, it was just a really, really bad start. Another team that I'll throw in there that I was surprised about, the Jacksonville Jaguars. They looked awful. They looked really bad. And more importantly, I thought it was a really good opportunity for Trevor Lawrence. You know, first career start. You're going up against a Texans team that, like, nobody even can name five players on that roster right now other than Tyrod Taylor, right? Like, this is a a roster of – of players that it's like an expansion team at this point all over again. And the fact that they couldn't do much was, was kind of surprising. And again, it goes back to that overreaction. Are the Texans going to win 10 games this year? No. Are the Jags going to be terrible? I don't think so, but I thought that week one, they should have uh, performed a little bit better. Yeah, no offense to friends of the podcast, Jaguar fan Sandra Rosa. I, I was a bit happy that they lost the way they did in week one because I was getting so annoyed with the media last year saying, Trevor Lawrence can't go with the Jets. He'll destroy his career. I'm like, what do you think is going to happen to him in Jacksonville? Uh, I mean, I, yeah, no, I, I, I get that. I, I totally get where you're coming from with yeah. that. Um, you know, the Jets have, have some potential when it comes to Zach Wilson. And now it's, you know, what were your thoughts on I'm- Zach Wilson and his debut? I thought he did fine. I mean, he had some moments in the first half. The line did him no favors because he's running for his life the whole game. But he did a good job hanging in there. He made some big throws. But the thing I'm worried about, again, is the line. No, Beck didn't go for a while coming up here. It's like, I'm worried not going to be able to keep him upright. And if he's not on the field, he's not going to learn and get better. Uh, I mean, and that's the thing. I mean, it doesn't matter who you are. Uh, you could be the most talented quarterback in the NFL. But if you don't have anybody protecting you, it's going to be really tough to have a good afternoon or a good evening. So uh, that that's definitely number one. And similar to what you said, I thought Zach Wilson played overall. Okay. 
And I think early on you saw that nerves, you saw the happy feet, and then he really settled in as you got later into the game, which is a good sign. Do I think it's going to be a, a successful season? It depends what you label as successful, but I think it's you want to continue to see him grow week to week, and that's the most important thing. Yeah, I think the thing that I was encouraged by is obviously is like also is that last year you could give me that game tape where they're down sixty not to half, they're getting destroyed on the line. This coaching staff last year that's a thirty five three loss. This year they came all the way back and they were right in that game at the end. They had a chance to come back and steal it, without a doubt, without a doubt. And that's that's a huge difference, and that's a and that's very important uh, to see right off the bat because if it would have been a thirty three to nothing game or thirty five nothing, whatever the score. Then you're sitting there saying, "Yikes! Maybe this is the same old team with just uh, you know some some new toys." Yeah, yeah. I also to throw out one complaint that I have with the lead. It sort of grinds my gears. What do you got? Do you I think I don't? I don't know where you're going with this at all. But I think I know where you're going with it, and I'm. I, I have a feeling I'm going to agree with you. Yeah, in that Jet Panther game pregame here, we find out that the Panthers switched the numbers of two linebackers like 20 minutes before the game started. I'm like. You can't do that. You said the whole week coaching film, like saying, oh, he's 56, he's 50. Now it's on there four and seven. Like you can't do that the day of the game. That's bullshit. So, so I agree with you. That is ridiculous. And that shouldn't have been allowed at all. I'll take it a step further. I hate the new number system in the NFL. Yeah. I hate that a linebacker could have a single digit, uh, a running back could have a single digit. You know, essentially you could have any number you want now. I get it in college and I think it's, in college football, we're just accustomed to it, so we take it in. It doesn't bother us. When I was watching Thursday night, the opening night against the Bucks and the Cowboys, you know, seeing Micah Parsons wearing 11 or whatever number he is, I mean, it was just throwing me off, and that's something I don't think I could ever get used to in the NFL. Yeah, for me, I don't mind that because I get the logic behind it because, yeah, there's, there's so many different, like, sets of expanded rosters, and you, don't, you can't limit the position groups of numbers, but you can't let them change the numbers 20 minutes before the game. Like, that's bullshit when you're trying to repair, especially rookie quarterback trying to study a film, all of a sudden this, this guy, he says, oh, I'm looking for the 50s. All of a sudden, he's number four popping up. He's well, I'm, I'm surprised the NFL allowed that. Because, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's the most logical response right there that, hey, we studied all week for number 50 and now he's number four. Like, that changes – that potentially changes the game plan. Yeah. Yeah, and it's something I think they should not allow that. I think it's honestly like all number change has to be in by Tuesday. The way you can say, okay, he's four, not 50. Not They do it half hour before the game starts. It'll be interesting to see if that continues. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting. I'm surprised that Belichick didn't come up with that first. You are right. He is pretty sneaky. Yeah. Also, I'll throw out for worst loss of week one. I know we didn't get to them yet because that game was the last one of the week, but how Baltimore blew that game to the Raiders is just mind-boggling to me. Yeah, I mean, I'm, uh, I kind of feel bad for Baltimore in the way that they're starting their season with, you know, who's playing running back, who's not playing running back, the injuries that they had. But to to lose the way that they lost against John Gruden and company, ugh, I yeah. can only imagine the pain that uh, that, one's, that one feels. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy about that one, too, because I have a friend who's not a big football guy. He started doing the knockout pool this year. He texted me on, I think, Thursday last week. He said, I'm going to take the Raiders. I'm like, do not do that. Do something else. And he switched the pick, so he's still in the pool because of me. All right. Well, luckily, you were a good friend and said, hey, you may want to switch this. Yeah, because he, he switched to the Rams, so he's now, he's now through to week two. Well, I'll tell you what. That's the type of person that has a lot of potential who could – end up picking the most obscure game and getting through and still having the best teams late. Yeah. Be, I know. Care- yeah. be careful. 
I know. Not, he's not in my pool, though, so I'm happy about that. So, All right. Good, good, good. We're not competing for the same prizes. That's important. Yeah, and I think going ahead to week two, I think looking ahead to the games this week, I feel like in the past, like week one is usually stacked, and week two is kind of like, eh, there's one or two good games. But there's a lot of interesting matchups in week two. What's your What's your favorite matchup for week two? I think there's a couple I have my eye on here. I think Bills Dolphins in the AFC East, I think it's underrated game. I think that's a very good concept. Obviously, Sunday night with the Chiefs and the and the Ravens is gonna be a lot of fun. And I think Thursday, Giants have a massive game is watching here. They have to win this game because they can't go 0 and 2 for the eighth time in nine years. No, that's a huge game. And you know, here's a Washington team that's definitely gonna be hungry going into this game after losing week one against the uh LA Chargers. I think another good game is gonna be 49ers Eagles. Yeah, that's, I think that 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 really has um, the potential of a, a really good matchup to see where both of those teams stand. And I'm kind of curious to see it. You know, can the Bengals move to two and out? Yeah, can the Bengals move to two and out again? Not marquee marquee matchups, but you know, we have storylines in place after Week One. That's a winnable game they're having against the Bears too. Absolutely, yeah. very very winnable. And the question comes, you know. How much longer do the Bears wait to make that decision, that change at quarterback? But, hey, I'll sit back and watch the Bears suffer. I can't talk that much um, trash because my team looked like trash week one. So, Yeah, and I think Cowboys charge also a week two match. That's going to be, I think, a lot of firepower, a lot of offensive scoring in that game. Yeah, uh, you know, you mentioned the Chiefs are ready for the Sunday night game. And then, you know, how do the Titans battle back? Do they battle back? They got a tough one against Seattle. So there are a lot of, a lot of good matchups. L- listen, I... You could put the two worst teams on, everyone's going to watch. That's just the NFL. I'm a sucker for it. I think you're you're the same way. You put the two worst teams, it may be painful, but we're watching it. That would be fair on Sunday night this week. I did not watch the Bear-Ram game because that game did not get my interest at all. I'd seen plenty of football at that point. Okay, well, I'll be honest. The reason why I wanted to see that, obviously, wanted to see what the Bears look like as uh, you know, as someone who watches the Packers, as a Packers fan. I want to see what else was in that division. And I want to see Stafford in that offense, and I was impressed. Yeah, well, we'll see what happens going forward. Joe, thanks for all the time. Really appreciate it. Before I let you go, if you follow on social media, keep up with the Sharp Cheddar podcast. Yeah, Mike. So uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Joe double underscore D-A-L-O-I-S-I-O. The latest Sharp Cheddar podcast was just released, my recap episode, talking about, you know, everything that pretty much went wrong in week one for Packers Saints. I'll have a... I'm hoping to have another episode later in the week previewing the Lions game, how this team bounces back, what we should look for, what's next. So, you know, the podcast available on all podcast platforms. Just search Sharp Cheddar Podcast. Yeah, I give you credit. You usually get two a week out during the football season. That's not an easy pace to maintain. No, it it definitely isn't. It's definitely tougher uh, this year, I'll be honest with you. Um, And I'm going to try to stay as consistent as possible with at least, um, you know, beginning and end of the week. Uh, I got to bring my picks at the end of the week, I know people only listen to the podcast for my terrible picks. I'm joking. Yeah. I did have a bad week. I went one and two. Yeah. So did I. I got, one of my picks was your Packers. So, unfortunately, they, they screwed me over. Uh, I actually went against your Jets. So, my Panthers were my lone winner. And then the Colts did me dirty. And so did the Jacksonville Jaguars. But I took two AFC South teams. What's wrong with me? <laughs> I don't know, Joe. Thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. Mike, pleasure as always. Show me the money. All 
All right, show me the money. <laughs> NFL picks for week number two here on the podcast. Joining me today, I know I said last week Will Schneiderhan was going to be on here to talk some Jets and make some picks. Life happened. Something came up. Luckily, went to the bench, got a pinch hitter up here. He's a he was a come on later in the year, but he's now up in week two. Kevin Lillis is here. Kevin, how are you? Mike, I'm good. How are you doing? Pretty good. I want to say, hopefully, this goes better for us than Albert Armora pinch hitting for the Mets did last night. Uh, I hope a lot of things go better than what the Mets have been doing. Yeah. But you know what? Um, Javi Baez is starting to turn around it for me. I'm starting to like him a little bit more. I think maybe we should consider keeping him at the end of the year. Yeah. Are you fully on board the keep Javi train? About like two weeks ago, I was completely out on him. I'm like walking alongside the train as it's pulling out of the station, deciding whether or not I'm going to jump on it or not. <laughs> I'm still not there yet. Yeah, let me put it to you this way. I think this is an interesting analogy. I don't know if you agree on this. I feel like there is a lot of Yoannis Cespedes in him, whereas mm. he will do things that drive you absolutely insane, like swinging at pitches that are bouncing at the front of the plate. But he'll also do things that you're like, wow, I don't know how he did that. I can understand those vibes. I get. I totally get that. Yeah. And Yoannis, the first time worked out. The second, not so much. So who knows with Javi? Yeah, we'll see. Well, you know, him and Lindor are good friends too. So maybe their chemistry will, you know, get better and better as the, you know, as the next season comes along. That's if he stays around. So I don't know. Yeah, I'll talk about the Mets next week more, but talk about the Jets today here. And the Jets, you and I know, they lost the opener nineteen fourteen. And what was your big takeaway from watching that game? What stuck out to you? My big take is we may have to consider um picks for an O-line um, giving trading away picks for our O-line because the only thing that really stuck out at me is that if the O-line doesn't improve, I don't even think Wilson will finish out the rest of the season because I think he might get hurt. Yeah, that's a very, um, very good point because I remember yeah. I was watching that game. I'm sitting here, the lines is getting wrecked and I have no idea why they started George Fant, who's like, he's like a turnstile at right tackle. Now Mekhi Becton is hurt. Zach Wilson after the game is like, hey, I have whiplash in that game. I can't blame him because he was basically running for his life from the jump. Yeah. But out of it, I saw a quarterback that was pretty solid in his first, in his debut. I have to say, I know he, like, he struggled in the first half, but he bounced back and he did make it a close game. Um, I think he has a lot of potential in um all areas and especially when it comes to passing but he needs to have more time and more protection and he needs a better o-line yeah i agree with you there because i watched that game watching zach wilson closely the first half he had his struggles like he looked at points like the moment was a little too big for him he has the bad pick but then the second half he looked like okay i got this and the pure arm talent some of those throws like those strikes to Corey davis the one the second touchdown in particular where he basically fits in a very, very tight window on a deep out throw. That's that's stuff that you don't always see. True. And the other thing which caught me, um, and you know from my experience playing football with you and our friends, is um, there were a good amount of drop passes oh, yeah. in that game. And, you know, passes that even people will laugh, I could have caught. Yeah. Like, <laughs> so, you know, they added, you know, good three or four passes that should have been received and and you would have a, a pretty even more solid day for Zach Wills. Yeah. I will say the one thing that encouraged you though is that I took this to early in the podcast, Joe Dalisa during the recap portion and during the open is like this game, you and I know this that last year, if the Jets are down sixteen nothing in this game in Carolina, it was this game thirty five to three. Oh yeah, absolutely. Even if you go back 
uh, I was saying this with my coworker today, if this was a Bulls or a Gays team, come halftime, that team would have just been, they would have been steamrolled on the field and we would have lost because there wouldn't have been any kind of adjustment. There wouldn't have been any kind of, you know, counterattack or, or idea. And that probably gives lauds to Sala and his coaching and his staff and how they were able to adjust. Now I know it's like, it's Sam Darnold's, but it's still Matt rule, who you know, coaching the Panthers seems to be, you know, uh, I don't know, more, more he seems like he could be a, t- yeah, more competent for sure than say other coaches or other teams or other lines. But I mean, it, you know, the, just the fact that they were flexible, the jets in the second half and they were able to adjust. Um, I think that speaks volumes already in game one. Yeah, this, um, this is going to be the year of the moral victory, in my opinion. Yeah, true. I mean, honestly, I'm not going into this season with expectations of a winning season. Um, I think, you know, we're going to win some good games. We're going to win some close games. And I, there's going to be like those one or two stinkers where we're just going to be scratching our head. Like, how did, you know, I don't know, how could, how could, how could we have lost there? But um, what's nice to see is going on fourth downs um, and actually succeeding at fourth downs. Whereas, you know, if it was Gase or, or even bowls for that matter, we would have punted the ball away with like two minutes left <laughs> down by eight points. Do you know? Like, yeah, the good old white, there was this, there was, the white flag punts. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There was like a sense of urgency. Um, and um, other than that, I mean, the defense looked okay. I mean, they didn't break. Um, and they played better in the second half. And, you know, overall, it was a close game. But Carolina was the better team for most of the game. Yeah, it was. And now Sunday they're coming home. They get the Patriots coming in here. I, I think this is one they can win if they if they get significantly better offensive line play because I don't think the Patriots are that impressive against the Dolphins week one. So what do you think the Jets have to do here to win this game besides just protect the quarterback better? I, I, honestly, they have to protect the quarterback. Um, the defense, if they stay the way they're going right now, just tighten up a few things here and there. Um, you know, they're going to be going up against our nemesis, our Beelzebub, our, <laughs> our, our Satan um, in Belichick. So um, it's going to be a tough game for us either way, because I feel like Belichick likes to torment us sometimes. And, you know, but as long as our defense keeps their head on and Zach Wilson can, you know, plays like he did in the second half, we need better play calling in the beginning of the game. Oh, yes. in, in my opinion, we need better play calling in the beginning of the game. And hopefully, you know, we, we learn from game one. Yeah, that's something I noticed, too, early in. They're playing very conservative. There's a lot of runs on first down. It was almost like they sort of knew, like, okay, our line can't block, so let's just try and, you know, do some things, try and hide that fact it didn't work. And they say, you know what, screw it. We're going to do what we do well. And then the second half, they open things up, and then that's when the offense started moving the ball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. And you know what, Zach uh, Wilson, he, he's as advertised. You know, like, he was running for his life, and he finished game one strong. He, he doesn't quit. I, I like to see that, and if – I see that heart and that commitment in game two against the Patriots. I think we have a, 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 I don't want to jinx anything just now, but I was actually reading something interesting there. Did you know that um, Sanchez, Geno Smith, and Sam Darnold all won their uh, debut games um, for the Jets? I do remember that. Zach Wilson lost his, so I don't want to say anything, and I don't want to jinx anything. And I don't want to make any premonitions <laughs> or or predictions, but you can only it can only we'll go up from here. Yeah, it can only go up from here. 
Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. All right. Let's go to the picks for the week. Uh, Charlie Borders is here. Last week for Teen Challengers. He went two and one on the week. He had the Cardinals getting the three in our in Tennessee against the Titans. He, they blew them out. He had the Browns getting six and a half points in Kansas City. They wed that game most of the way before losing late by four, so they covered the number. He had the Patriots laying the three. They lost. So two and one on the week for Charlie. I, on the other hand, I had a rougher week. I went one and two. I had the Seahawks laying the two and a half. They they covered that number pretty easily. I had the football team getting a point at home against the Chargers. I lost that one when Fitzpatrick went out. And I had El Stinkowski out there. I had the Packers laying the four and a half in Jacksonville. I have no idea what happened to that game. Stinkowski. Yeah. <laughs> and I was the one that was most confident last week, Kevin. I said, I'm like, okay, Packers getting points, no breeze, neutral site. This could be easy. Yeah. There was a there was a lot of interesting games uh, this past week, and um, to be honest, I don't know what happened with that Packer game, man. I was just sitting there like with my jaw to my floor, <laughs> jaw to the floor. I had no idea what was going on. Yeah, and that was one of those things. And you know me; I know I love the tennis, so obviously I'm at that's at four o'clock, which means the men's finals on for you. So I was I was in there, I was bouncing around doing some other things. I come back on red zone and see it's thirty five, like thirty five. I'm like, what? Yeah, yeah, you had a busy day, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> That's for sure. And on the year so far, challengers early lead two and one. I'm one and two. I'm going to try and get back on track this week. And Kevin, you're going to see if you can build some momentum here for the visitors here and keep the momentum going forward. Well, I mean, my track record is pretty good. I think I have a pretty decent lifetime uh, record here on this podcast. Yeah, you've done pretty well. You're not got the exact stats. I feel like you've had winning weeks each time you come on. Yep. All right. I'm a winner. <laughs> All right. Let's with that in mind, let's go to the picks for week number two. Kevin, you're up first here. Where are you going with pick number one? Pick number one. I'm going to go with the Chiefs. Excuse me. I'm going to I don't want to allude into that just yet. I'm going to go with the Washington football team Ugh. over the New York Giants. Sorry, that was hard to get out. <laughs> so I'm going with the Thursday night 820 game. Um, Washington football team against the New York Giants. Uh, I don't think the Giants are a good team. And for once, it's nice to actually see them perform like the Jets used to be a few years ago. Um, that and Riverboat Ron Rivera is one of my favorite coaches in the NFL. And, you know, I think he is my kind of guy. And uh, he he pulls some great calls on the field. Yeah. Um, not to say that... I shouldn't really pull on the Giants that bad because they're not that bad, but um, I I really think that the the Redskins are going to over the Giants. Yeah, uh, laying the three. Night. Yeah, laying the three. Yeah. I have no problem with that pick because, again, this is the Giants who made Teddy Bridgewell look like an all-star and Teron was desperate to get rid of Sam Darnold. That's another big chase. Even without Fitzpatrick, home team short week, I can't argue with that pick. We'll see. Yeah, where are you going with your next one? The next one, I'm going to Sunday game. I'm going to pick the Steelers over the Raiders. Um, I don't think Vegas is a really good team. I don't know what was going on on Sunday. It was such a weird, such a weird day for 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 teams for games. Um, but I think that the uh, the Raiders passing game with Derek Carr is just. I don't know. I don't. I don't. I. I don't think it's spectacular. I think he's super overrated. And I remember when he got his his uh, huge money deal a few years ago. I was what for what for who? Um. Uh. I think this will be a get well game uh, for their talent for uh, for um, the Steelers. Um. So we'll see how you know how how that how that pans out. But I think the Steelers will win like 31-14. 
Lay in the five and a half. Got that? Yeah, I'm laying the five and a half. Yeah, I love that pick. I saw that. I'm like, damn you, Kevin. You stole that one from me because that's <laughs> one where I'm sitting there like, we're going to that big emotional win on Monday night. They got fly east. They have the short turnaround, the one o'clock game. That, to me, is the recipe for we're going to come out flat and let the Steelers dominate us defensively. So I think that game's going to be a Steeler route. I think you're right on the money with that one. Yep, we'll see how it goes. All right, pick number three. Where are you going? Pick number three is where I nearly alluded to my first pick, but I was trying to go in sequential order, but it's a Sunday 8-20 game, and it's going to be the Chiefs at the Ravens, and I'm picking the Chiefs over the Ravens uh, only because um, it's Patrick Mahomes. Like, I, I don't know how you can, it's, I mean, he had a great game, or not a great game, but it was a tough game. It was a good game on Sunday against the Browns. Um, uh, but, you know, I think the Chiefs are just that new elite team. And to be honest, Mike, I think they're going to be elite for a good few years. And they're not going to really have much competition out in their division. So for, for a good while, at least. Um, but, I mean, just like Mahomes, he's just so... He's everything. He throws, he runs, he gets hit, he gets up. He's got Tyreek Hill and, I mean, Travis Kelsey. It's just... And with Andy Reid as coach, it's just, I don't know. They're like a, they're like my darling team yeah. to me. I, I really like the Chiefs. Yeah, laying the three and a half. Yeah, laying the three and a half. I love that pick, too, because for me, the Ravens looked bad on Monday night. They blew the early lead. Yeah. And when did they ever play well against the Chiefs, Kevin? I I, I don't know. It's yeah. just like every, I always get so, like, the first time seeing Lamar Jackson go up against Patrick Mahomes, I was like, this is great because Lamar Jackson getting picked 29th, I think, in the first round yeah. of the draft. Like you could tell like that was killing him, and he wanted to fight back. And but he has a tall order against against Patrick Mahomes. But it's just I, I want I want to see them become like the new you know the new rivalry. That's what I want to see. All right, Kevin's picks are in. I'm at up now. Pick number one. I'm gonna start out here with the dog. I'm gonna take a home dog, which I love. The Miami Dolphins getting three and a half points at home against the Bills in Miami. And this is one okay. Miami played very well week one. They picked up a win against the Patriots. They made some big stands. I was not impressed by what Buffalo showed me here. Buffalo struggled with the Steelers. They could not move the ball very well. And yep. this is one for me. The weather's a big factor here. Because that game's going to be 90 degrees on Sunday. Like heat index near 100. You know as well as a Jet fan that going down to Miami in September is never easy. I am getting the hook at home. So I love that hook. Give me the three and a half of the Dolphins. Pick one. Nice. Good pick. All right. That's, that's pick number one. Pick number two. I'm going with a team that absolutely murdered me last week. So I'm going to see if they I can ride them this time. I take the Saints laying a three and a half in Carolina against the, against the Panthers here. And the Panthers did not really impress me. I'm like, considering they're playing a Jets team that was very injured and not do a ton offensively. I mean, Sam Darnold missed some chances there. He had wide open touchdowns he missed. He had throws he missed. They were a little concerned here. And the Saints... Very impressive defensively. You know, they're not going to Marshawn Lattimore, but again, it's only three and a half points. I think they're a better football team than the Panthers. I'll lay them here at the Saints. Pick two. Yeah. And that too, that's a good pick because, you know, Sam Darnold, you go back to him real quick. I think he only threw for like 35 yards or 40 yards in the in the Jet game in the second half. I mean, it wasn't, you know, I didn't feel too bad about letting him go from last year, so... Absolutely. That's pick number two. Pick number three. I'm going with a big dog here because this is one where I'm saying, okay, they look terrible in week one. The number is probably very high. They have firepower. They can keep this clo the closer in the number. I'm going to take the Falcons getting 11 and a half going to Tampa against the Buccaneers. <laughs> and I'm looking at this. And I'm like, okay, this is a massive number. Tampa's out to win the football game. But 
We saw against Dallas that their pass defense had some issues, and they lost one of their corners, Sean Murphy, bumping to an injury in the game. Atlanta has got to have some pride here. They got themselves waxed at home to start of the season. I feel like you're getting a better effort out of the Falcons here, and 11.5 is big. I can lose by 10 and still win the number here, so I'm going to take the Falcons and all those points, pick number three. Wow. That's a big, that's a big pick. <laughs> For me, I'm looking at it, I'm like, some of these numbers are so huge. I'm like, that one, I feel the most confident they're going to cover the number, not win the game, just yeah. cover. Yeah. All right. So to reset the pick here, Kevin's taking the football team, getting laying three at home against the Giants on Thursday night. The Steelers laying five and a half at home against the Vegas Raiders. And the Chiefs laying three and a half in Baltimore against the Ravens. I am going with a home dog. The Dolphins getting three and a half at home against Buffalo. The Saints laying three and a half in Carolina against the Panthers. And the Falcons getting 11 and a half points against the Buccaneers in Tampa. And those are your picks for week number two on the podcast. So very interesting spread here. We have a lot of divisional ground here covered. It's a wide variety. I like it. Yeah, I said, you know, I got to take one of these big dogs. Where it was the, I was dating the Lions. I said, you know, the Packers are too good. I said, Tampa's pass defense is vulnerable. I'm going to take the Falcons. All right, Mike, we'll see how me and you do on week two. Absolutely. And one other piece of business I do every week here on the picks now, I've been doing the knockout pool this year, Kevin. So I'm giving my pick out of the podcast every week. Okay. Week one, very dicey at the end there, but I advanced because the 49ers hung on to beat the, the Lions 41-33. That one got a lot closer than it needed to be. <laughs> Jesus, and you're still going. I'm still in there. You're breathing. Yep. <laughs> Just barely. <laughs> yep. Pick num week number two. The knockout pick of the week is going to be the Cleveland Browns at home over the Houston Texans. Mm. The, Texans okay. the Texans got their win. They're going to come out to Cleveland and get smoked. Yep. That game is going Browns, to... I think the Browns were favored by 12 and a half points in that game. Yes, they are. Uh, Browns got a good defense, so <laughs> they gave Patrick Mahomes a, a, a good test. Yeah. It's a big step on competition from at, ho at home against the Jaguars to going on the road to play Cleveland. Oh, yeah. Big yeah. Ten. All right, so that's the pick for the lockout, knockout pool. Browns over Texas. I'm happy now I use the 49ers. Certainly they already start getting hurt again. 49ers. Oh, my God. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so. This year is so weird, Mike. I don't know how to explain it. I'm just not used to it. Maybe it's coming out of the COVID fog. I'm just yeah. – maybe it's football's back and there's fans in the stands. It's just everything is so strange. Absolutely. And next week, I'm going to be bringing in uh, Giant fan Nick Frietta. We're going to be talking about the Giants after this Washington game. They get ready for Atlanta in week three. Dude, they got to win. They can't go all into again. Yeah, no, they can't. I, and I feel bad for my Giants uh, fan friends, but I don't really at the same time. So <laughs> I'm just happy that we have a quarterback. Yeah, we think we have quarterback. We think we have a quarterback. Yes, let me yeah. phrase that. Yeah, yeah. we yeah. think we have a quarterback. <laughs> Yes, and they mentioned the top of the show here. If the Giants lose this football game, they will have gone at least 0-2 in eight of the last nine seasons, which is almost unheard of. Whoa. I did not know that. Is it real? They have a tendency to start going on these bad runs to start seasons. It's, it puts them in these big holes that can never get out of them. Yeah. Well, I mean, from what I saw, I didn't really watch much much of the game. I saw bits and pieces of it, but, I mean, it just looked like an offensive mess. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know. Um, but I think some of the, some of the players saw that their defense played okay, I think yeah. at times, but yeah. they still gave up a lot, you know? Yeah. I'll play it this way for the giants here. If you cannot go on the road and beat Taylor Heineke at quarterback here, <laughs> you have major problems. 
then what do you think um what do you what do you what do you what do you think the giants need to do to turn the boat around or or you know how where where do they need to improve is it daniel jones is it their offensive line is it their play calling what do you think mike it's dave galman uh oh okay he's got to go because he's not know how to build this team he's got to go he got his boston accent yeah he's got to go <laughs> all right kevin thanks for all the time I really appreciate it before i let you go if you follow social media keep us on the stuff you're up to I'm not really up to much recently, Mike. I'm recently caught. You caught me in the middle of a move. I'm just moved to Queens, so I'm closer to some psychotic Jet fans, <laughs> and uh, my landlord is a psychotic Met, Met fan, so <laughs> I'm not doing too bad. But um, social media, it's just the same. Castro photo at Instagram on on Instagram. Absolutely, Kevin. Thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. Thanks again, Mike. It's always a pleasure. The two-minute drill. All right, two-minute drill time. Talk about the Subway Series a little bit. And a very fun weekend in New York baseball. The Mets win two out of three here. And we had two very exciting games on Saturday and Sunday. Friday was a dud, but it's okay. I want to start for a minute before we get to the baseball here about the 9-11 ceremony coverage. And the Mets did a great job with the ceremony. They had... A good job honoring the first responders. They all wore the New York uniforms at these great moments where you had a touching national anthem. You had the players shaking hands and standing together on the baselines as one unified New York. All that stuff is great, but I found out about most of it from the beat report on site because Fox completely foobarred their coverage of this. Fox literally spent most of the ceremony going to their panel and center field, which was basically A Rod. David Ortiz, Frank Thomas, with Tom Rinaldi, basically talking about like their reflections on 9-11. And they were talking over things that were going on in the background, which made no sense. I get production-wise, you want to hear from these big guys at the top of the broadcast. That's fine. Do that. You want to go to the booth and talk to Joe Buck and John Smoltz about it? Sure, do that. But at the same time, we don't need to constantly hear from them. We don't need to hear A-Rod telling us, like, how he felt the second time or, you know, the moment needs to breathe and make it worse. They cut to commercial three times in the middle of the ceremony, three. And you had the great media report, Andrew Marshall and the New York Post on Twitter saying, oh, you know, Fox has to cater to a national audience. It's not just about New York. Andrew, it's a college football Saturday in the country. The, the second big week of college football action. What neutral national fan is watching a Met-Yankee game on Saturday night between two teams that are going pretty much nowhere? You have the New York audience. Cater to them. Don't worry about the national guy who's going to tune in to this game. They're not getting them. Cater to the ones you do have and do a good job with it because it's not your job to pontificate on the ceremony. You're supposed to let it happen. Show us what happened. SNY is not foobarring it. Yes, Network is not doing that. Bad job by Fox here. For the Yankees, it was not a good weekend. They lose two out of three here. And the concerns about this team are still valid. I mean, they have gagged away a nine-and-a-half game lead in the wild card race. They are now in a dogfight with Boston and Toronto, with Seattle and Oakland lingering around there to try and get in the postseason. And this week is big for them. They lost two out of three. They beat the Twins in the makeup game. They have three with the Orioles. They have three with the Indians, who can't hit, but they can pitch. And three were Texas who stink. 
Six of those were home. You need to win probably seven of those games at least. To feel good about your back six, back nine games where you have a trip to Boston, a trip to Toronto, and Tampa coming in here. And you know Tampa love to bury the Yankees they can. The problem is the Yankee team, we saw it over the weekend. They don't hit enough. They're not consistent with that. The pitching, the bullpen is just god-awful. Who out there are you trusted with Jonathan Wysak or Hurt? I mean, you saw Chad Green get up big homers. Andrew Haney's been in games and giving up big homers. Or all this Chapman is shaky. You're going to Albert Abreu or Clay Holmes in big spots? Imagine you told that to a Yankee fan in April what the reaction to that would have been. That's scary. And the AL wildcard, Toronto is surging the point. You feel like they're going to get in. I mean, they pubble the Rays on Monday night, and they only have a couple more games of the Rays left. If still have seven with the Twins and three more with the Orioles. Those are games they're going to pile up victories in. The Red Sox, once they get past Seattle, their schedule eases up considerably as well. So you need to take care of your business against these bad teams. You need to win another seven games here to make yourself feel good going into that last stretch of games. The Mets will get more into the Mets next week. There's a nice win. Francisco Lindor had his Met moment when he launched three homers to beat the Yankees on Sunday night. It was dramatic. The fans gave him the curtain call. It was great. But again, this team has a lot of issues. We'll get into more next week, but there are areas need to address. This team is not consistent. They don't hit consistently. They don't pitch consistently. They don't feel consistently. And they are what they are. I mean, recording this on Tuesday afternoon for the Cardinal second game, they are 72 and 73. They are still in the race by a faction of the races being mediocre, not by anything of their own doing. They have a lot of changes to make in the offseason. I'll talk about that more in the coming weeks. But the Mets, even though they're mathematically alive, they've been cooked for weeks. We know it. You're kind of sitting there wondering, is they going to do enough? Is there like one little spark? You would have thought Sunday would have been it. And no. Flags man can't come on the night. Not good. And with that, I want to end the podcast. I want to thank my guest, Joe D'Aloisio, for hopping on the line to recap NFL Week 1. And Kevin Lewis for pinch hitting again, doing the Week 2 NFL picks. A lot of fun stuff there. Rock with stuff like this podcast. Clue my look at what we learned from Noah Joe. He's losing the U.S. Open final to Daniil Medvedev and what it means for his legacy and what is going to happen to him going forward. Check out the vlog over at justinthesuffering.wordpress.com. Subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, all the usual suspects. Simply search for Just End the Suffering on your favorite podcast platforms. You can find all episodes there. Feel free your feedback and star ratings will help, they help make the podcast even better going forward. You can check out the YouTube page, Mike Phelps on YouTube. The video versions of these chats with Kevin and Joe are up on the YouTube page. Feel free to check those out. Because follow my Twitter handle at mphillips331. That's M-P-H-I-L-I-P-S-3-3-1. And that's going to do it for this week's episode of the podcast. A lot of fun coming up here in the next couple of weeks. We have next week, we're going to dove into the Mets 30 for 30 on the 86 Mets. going to be joined by John Coventry and Metrodomus to talk that down. Week three picks and more. Don't hope you have a better week than the Packers fans did. This has been the Just End the Suffering Podcast. I'm out.